All right, uh, we are in the book of Acts chapter 12. Uh, we are in the 12th uh, part of our 12-part series. And um, as we turn to Acts chapter 12, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 19. 1 through 19, Acts chapter 12. This is what it says. I'm in the New King James Version, in case you're wondering. This is what it says. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, which is the Passover feast, which is the Seder, by the way. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But, motion, but, he, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down to Judea, from Judea to Caesarea, and stayed there. Father, we pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to us by the power of your word and spirit. Lord, that you would make plain to us the revelation of the gospel. And that we would walk out of this room with a new level of revelation and understanding beyond anything we've ever had. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, this is a powerful story. I don't know if sometimes you might take like a 30, 40 second vacation while the scripture's being read. And if that happens, you kind of, you can miss like pieces of the story. But the story, the story, this is like one of the most incredible stories in the Bible. So Herod was persecuting the church. This is actually the fourth round of persecution that's come on the early church in the book of Acts. The first round of persecution was when Jesus himself had been crucified. 
The second was when Peter and John and the apostles had been beaten before the Sanhedrin for preaching in the name of Christ. The third was when Stephen was martyred in Acts 7 and 8. And now this is the fourth. Herod, just for no reason whatsoever, he grabs James, who's the brother of John. Remember, Jesus, if you read the Gospels, had an inner circle. He had 12 disciples, but three of them were his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. James and John were actually brothers. They were the sons of Zebedee. Herod the king grabbed James for no reason, had a quick mock trial, and then had him executed. And it just pleased the Jews so much, the the Jewish leaders who were against the church and against the people of Jesus and against the teaching of Jesus, they were so pleased by the execution of James, Herod said, man, I might get reelected. I'm going to do this again. So he grabs Peter, throws him in prison, and it said he assigned four squadron or four squads of guards four squads of soldiers to guard him. Now a squad, it was actually called a tetrad, a tetrad, and in a tetrad there were four soldiers. So he assigned 16 soldiers to guard one man, 16 armed soldiers to guard one man, locked him up tight in the prison. The problem was it was during the days of unleavened bread, meaning it was during the Passover. It was during the Seder. <coughs> Excuse me. It was actually during the time in which years earlier, not many years earlier, they had crucified Christ. And, and it was at a particular time during the days of unleavened bread in which Herod could not do anything. He could not stage an execution. He could not have this false trial. So he said, lock him away, put him in the jail. When these days of unleavened bread are over, we're going to pull Peter out. We're going to try him, and we're going to execute him, and I'm about to get reelected. <coughs> and we're going to make Israel great again. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just sorry. That wasn't bad. Sorry, sorry. That, forgive me. That was Sorry. Lord, forgive me. That was, let's just keep American politics out of this. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> now Peter is kept in prison, but the church is praying constantly. So imagine this. Let's say, let's say I'm Peter. I got arrested. Y'all are the church. Y'all met right here in this place to have a prayer meeting for me. I'm in prison guarded by 16 soldiers, you guys are here having a prayer meeting, right? And what you guys are praying for is for me to be released. Now, I'm in prison. I'm praying too. Guess what I'm praying for? Me to be released, right? (laughs) Everybody is praying for me to be released. Like this is the number one prayer request. We're not praying for starving children in Africa. You know what I mean? We're not not praying for the, the light bill. We're not, thank you. We're not praying for anything else except me to be released. And the church is praying fervently, meaning they're praying continually, meaning they're not sleeping at night. The church is praying round the clock. I've been a part of those. The church I grew up in, we used to have those kind of prayer meetings. Like if something desperate needed to happen, we prayed round the clock. We didn't get up. We didn't leave. We didn't go home. Sometimes some of us didn't go to work. (laughs) Like we didn't go to school. Like we prayed round the clock until the answer came. Do you know how much faith you have to have in God to pray for something round the clock? Some of us can't even pray round the hour. Some of us can't even pray round the minute. We don't have enough faith to pray and actually believe God. The best we can do is, Lord, would you do? No? Okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, that's as far as our faith will go. You know how much faith you have to have to pray for God to do something round the clock. The, the church is playing, praying round the clock. Meanwhile, Peter is in jail the night before his execution, knowing tomorrow's the day. And guess what Peter's doing? He's sleeping. (laughs) 
Peter's asleep. Isn't that just, isn't that crazy? Like the guy they're praying for is sleeping. They're up praying. He's home sleeping. Well, he's not home sleeping, but he's in jail sleeping. Peter is sleeping because he's lost hope. Like in his mind and heart, there's absolutely no possibility. And it's nice, you know, I can feel the prayers of the people. I'm so thankful you guys are praying for me. But it's to no avail. What am I going to do? I'm surrounded by 16 armed soldiers. I'm one man. And it says that Peter was seated and he was bound with two chains. I mean, two chains, right? <laughs> Peter was a rapper. No, that's, that's where he got his name. No. So <laughs> he was, see, he was reading that verse and he said, I, that's my name. No. Uh, <laughs> Peter is bound with two chains and sitting between two soldiers. So there's two, two armed guards sitting next to Peter, and he's bound with two chains. There's two more in the room. Outside in the room, outside of that room, there's another post of four soldiers. And then outside of the other, that room, there's another post of four soldiers. Six, so he's like, even if I got past these four, those four would kill me. And even if I got past those four, the next four would kill me. There's no way I'm getting out of this alive. Not to mention, there's no due process. You know, I can't hire Johnny Cochran. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, there's no lawyer that can get me out of this. There's no, I can't appeal to, to the Supreme Court, you know. Like, I'm going to be killed tomorrow. So Peter has lost hope. He's gone to sleep. The church is still standing in faith. They're praying all night long. Now the angel shows up, and the angel, the angel appears in his cell. The cell is filled with light, and the angel strikes Peter on the side and says, get up quickly. The angel appears in the room. First and foremost, how many here have ever seen an angel? Peter had never seen an angel. To that time. You don't see anything in the experience of Peter. Read through the Gospels. Peter had no experience with the angelic realm yeah. to that point. So the first thing God does is send Peter something that he had never seen or experienced before. The first thing God does, the answer, Peter had lost hope because in his imagination, he could not imagine any turn of events that would, brought, would have brought about his freedom. And so because there was nothing in his imagination, we tend to restrict the realm of the possible to what we can imagine. If I can't imagine it, it's impossible. And what we don't realize is that even in human terms, restricting the realm of the possible to your imagination is a great fallacy. Because sometimes the person next to you can see a possibility. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody about a situation and they're like, it's impossible. There's, there's nothing, I, can, I can't do, what, what, what am I supposed to do? There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm like, I'm not even an angel, but I can see how it's possible. <laughs> but in fact, restricting the, the realm of the possible to the human imagination, even if you're in a room with 20 people and not one of them can see how it's possible, it doesn't mean it's impossible. It simply means with man it is impossible. But we forget that all things are possible with God. And so the first thing Peter experiences is getting slapped in the side by an angel. The angel, this gleaming, brilliant, angelic being, Peter's sound asleep, and all of a sudden he gets slapped in the... Do you know how <laughs> disrupt... What in the world? Who wants to get woken up that way? Don't, I would want the angel to go, Benjamin, yeah. Benjamin, Benjamin, time to get up. 
You want God to wake you up? You don't want God to slap you in the side? What kind of stuff is that? Peter's like, hi! You know, his reflexes, he probably pulled out that kung fu for a second, you know? And then realizes it's an angel. Oh, Lord, let me put these down before he kills me. The angel slaps him in the side and says, arise quickly. Notice the angel does not start with an explanation. Peter, now I know this might be a bit disorienting to you. (laughs) First of all, let's start with some introductions. I'm an angel. (laughs) The name's Gabriel. (laughs) You know, you've seen my work before, you know, Mary, Joseph, you know, those guys. (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) I've been sent to you now. (laughs) Now, uh, let me tell you what's getting ready to happen, okay? (laughs) No, No explanation. Just pop, get up quickly. Pop, stand up quickly. First of all, why does the angel say, stand up quickly, arise quickly? Why does the angel use the word quickly? Is God in a rush? I mean, the angel had already put all the guards to sleep. The angel already knew his chains were about to fall, the doors were going to open, and they were just going to walk right out. And even if there was an army waiting outside, do you think the army would have been any match for the angel? There was no urgency in the natural. Why does the angel say, arise quickly? Because when I read that, I often read it as if the angel was saying, hurry up, we only got like three minutes, and if, you, if we don't do this in three minutes, all is lost. Hurry up for the guards, wake up, hurry, quick! As if the angel was in a hurry. The angel was not in a hurry. He said it not because he couldn't do it unless it was done quick. He said it because Peter needed to move quick. This is what the angel was saying. Peter, stand up quickly before you talk yourself out of this deliverance. Stand up quickly before you start rationalizing this, before you start asking, is this God or the devil? Before you start asking, maybe it's God's will for me to die tomorrow. Before you start working your way out of, before you start asking questions like Zachariah asked in the the Holy of, remember that time in Luke chapter one, when Zachariah went into the Holy of Holies and he was an old man, he was past, him and his wife were past childbearing years and the angel Gabriel shows up and says, Zachariah, you and your wife are gonna have a son. You're gonna name him John. And and, and Zachariah goes, how, how can you prove it to me? How can I? How do I know? How do I know you're telling the truth <laughs> to an angel? And he goes, "Okay, I'm 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 Gabriel. Okay, I stand in the presence of God. Okay, you don't believe me? You ain't gonna talk until these words of mine are fulfilled. Zip, zip it." And he couldn't talk for the next nine months. It wasn't until his t- so literally Gabriel's like, "Stand up quick." before you talk yourself into getting struck. (laughs) You know, we so quickly talk ourselves out of stuff. My wife preached a couple weeks ago about the five-second rule. That's exactly it. We talk ourselves out of stuff. You know, you hear people say, and I've I've said it so many times, I'm going to go on a diet. You know when you have that, when you get that like, you know, that that unction comes, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to start next Monday. (laughs) That ain't going to happen. You ain't starting next Monday. When the unction comes, you got to start right away. When the Holy Spirit prompts, you're going to start right away. How many times has God sent an angelic messenger to set you free from something, to break you into something, to lift you out of something, to pull you into something, to release you into your next season, but you didn't arise quickly enough, and so you missed the miracle. Arise quickly. You got to stand up quickly. And here's what's crazy. Peter didn't know if it was real enough. He didn't know if it was real or not. 
but he still obeyed. You don't have to know 100%. I just need to know 100% if it's God. No, you don't. You just need to move. And guess what? If it's not God, it ain't going to work. And what's the worst that could happen, Peter? You still going to die tomorrow, (laughs) which is what would have happened anyway. Our great problem, I remember I went through this stage when I was a teenager. Everything my mother told me to do, I went, but why? But why? How come, though? But why? I don't understand that. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. Why? Why? How come, though? But why? But why? But why? She said, because I said so. Because I'm your mama. Because if you don't do it, I'm going to slap you so hard, you're going to have six visions, five dreams, and four revelations. Because if you don't move now, I'm going to slap the black off of you. That's why I'm so light-skinned. I was a lot darker. (laughs) Lord, my wife's going to get me for that one later. Arise quickly. You've got to learn how to move quickly. But what if it's not God? Then it's not going to work. And hindsight is 20-20. All of us have had seasons in which we felt we were being prompted by the Spirit of the Lord to go to the right or the left, and then we get there and it wasn't God. Mm-hmm. And you go, ooh, that wasn't God. And sometimes it was God, but you just thought if it was God, it would work out right. Yeah. Sometimes God tells you to turn to the right, and you get beat up over there on that. And you're like, and you're like well, God, what happened there? But it's not till you look back like Joseph. It's not till you look back that you realize what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. That even if it doesn't turn out right in the immediate, it'll turn out right in the long term. Why? Because in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. How about this one? I think I should pray. Should I pray? Is that God telling me to pray? Maybe the devil's telling me to pray. Maybe it's my own heart. I should find a confirmation. God, if it's you telling me to pray... Let that light bulb turn off right now. (laughs) You got to learn how to move quickly. So the angel says, stand up quickly, Peter. Stand up quickly before you talk yourself out of this miracle. Stand up quickly before you talk yourself out of this deliverance. Stand up quickly. You got to learn how to get up quickly. Listen, you have been lingering in the pit for too long. Today, you got to make a decision to stand up quickly. You've been lingering in discouragement and despair. You've been lingering in unbelief and in unforgiveness. You've been lingering in your pit for too long. But the word of the Lord to you today is stand up quickly or else you're going to miss your miracle. Peter stands up. The angel slaps him in the side. Stand up quickly. He stands up quickly and the chains fall off of his his hands. And then the angel says, put on your shoes. It's interesting. The angel says, put on your sandals. Tie on your sandals or latch on your sandals. It's interesting that Moses stands before the burning bush and God says, take off your sandals. But the angel stands before Peter and says, put on your sandals. You see, you've got to understand that there's two distinct kinds of seasons that God takes you in in life. There are seasons to take off your shoes and there are seasons to put on your shoes. The season when God says, take off your shoes is because you ain't going nowhere. It's not time for you to move yet. God says, I just want you to sit right here in my presence, right here at my feet. This is the time to linger in the presence of God. When God tells you to take off your shoes, he says, I want you to set everything aside and I want you to seek my face and I want you to learn how to sit at my feet and I want you to learn how to sink your feet deep into the holiness of my presence. 
But when God tells you to put on your shoes, that means it's time for you to move. That means it's time for you to do something. That means he wants you to come out of the prayer closet and go out to the street and do something. You see, we tend to think that the spiritual life is all about lingering in the prayer closet, playing our worship music 24-7, creating an atmosphere, you know, smoke and, and fire and incense, and it's just about creating an atmosphere of the glory. Sometimes God wants you to put on your shoes and go forth from the glory and do something with the glory. And that's the thing, when you, whenever you set out to obey God, whenever you put on your shoes and, and go out to obey God, it feels like you're leaving the presence behind. Like Moses leaving the burning bush behind. If I were Moses, I'd be like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm staying right here at this bush. Lord, as long as you're talking. But when Moses went to Egypt and led Israel out, when he came back to the same mountain, it had went from the burning bush to the burning mountain. That is, the glory of God will increase in your life if you hear God say go and you go and obey and then come back to the glory. See, that's what our life should be about is going forth from the glory, obeying God and coming back to the glory and it's a greater glory. And then you go out from the glory, obey God and come back to the glory. It's a greater glory. You take off your shoes and you put on your shoes. Now, Paul says when he talks about the full armor of God, he talks about our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. He's literally saying to Peter, put on your shoes, not simply because you're about to be free, not simply because you're about to get delivered from this cell, but because you're about to get delivered to your destiny. You see, deliverance is never, it's, we always focus on what you're getting delivered from. We don't focus enough on what you're getting delivered to. Does that make sense? It's like a baby walking around going, I just got delivered from that womb over there. You see that womb, my mother's womb? I just got delivered from that womb. And you spend the next 20 years, I got delivered from that womb 20 years ago. I got, yeah, but what did you get delivered to? Yeah. It's about the living of your life. God, when deliverance comes, it's so that you can go and pursue your destiny. Peter, put on your sandals because you're about to go out and preach the gospel. Put on your sandals because you're about to go out and plant more churches. Put on your sandals because you're about to go out and heal more sick people. Put on your sandals because you've got some epistles to write that you haven't written yet. Put on your sandals because God's got more work to do. Not just because you're coming out of the jail, but because you're now entering into your destiny. Amen. Put on your sandals. And then the angel says, and put on your coat. Wrap your cloak around you. Wrap your cloak around you. You've got to be prepared for the elements. What the angel is literally saying, it's not going to be warm, as warm out here as it is in here. You see, often you ask God to deliver you or to bless you, and then when God blesses you, you find that you have a more difficult situation in the blessing than you did in the prison house. Some of you asked God for a wife, and then you got one. You ask God for a husband, and then you got one. <laughs> you ask God for kids, <laughs> and then you had some. <laughs> you ask God for a new house, and then you bought it, and the roof went out. You ask God for a new job, and you got it, and now suddenly you got to deal with a boss that you don't like or who doesn't treat you right. You got to put on your coat. When you're entering into your destiny, you got to put on your coat and prepare yourself for the eventuality that it's going to be colder out there pursuing your destiny than it is in here in this nice, warm prison cell where you're awaiting execution. Rise up. He rose up. Chains fell off. Put on your shoes. He put on his shoes. Put on your coat wraps himself up in his coat. Now let's go 
and he follows the angel, and the scripture says Peter did not know that this was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Or he thought he was still dreaming. Peter is following the angel, and he comes out, and the guards are all asleep everywhere. He's like, dang, it's going to suck to wake up tomorrow morning. (laughs) And the guards are still asleep. Man, this is a crazy dream. (laughs) Too bad I'm not going to be able to tell nobody about this dream. (laughs) Comes to the gate of the city, and the gate opens up by itself. It was like Walmart, automatic doors, just (laughs) hallelujah. Next time you go to Walmart, you should do that. When you walk up to the doors and they open by themselves, just go, thank you, (laughs) and do a little holy dance. Peter is thinking, man, this is a crazy dream. This dream is awesome. And it said they walked the length of one street, and then the angel disappeared and left Peter by himself. Never did the angel give Peter an explanation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he came to himself, and then he goes, Now I know that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me. Now I know. It wasn't until after the fact that he had clarity on what God was doing. We want clarity on what God's about to do before he does it. But God doesn't give you clarity on what he's doing until after he does it. Really, we want God to get our permission before he does anything in our lives. It was after the fact. After the miracle was over. After the miracle was complete. That suddenly Peter had understanding of the miracle. The whole time he was in it, he's like, this can't be real. It can't be real because it's beyond the bounds of my understanding. But when it was over, he said, wow, that was actually real. Now watch what happens. Peter now is going to go to the place where the church is praying. So he shows up at Mary's house. He starts banging on the door. The church can't hear him. They're too busy praying for him to be released. (laughs) Sometimes you're praying, God interrupts your prayer with the answer. But you can't hear it because you're too busy crying about what's gone wrong in your life that you can't hear that the answer is knocking on your door. Peter knocks on the door. The only person who hears him is a servant girl named Rhoda. Rhoda runs to the door. Who is it? It's Peter. Peter who? (laughs) The apostle Peter. Which apostle? (laughs) Peter. The only apostle Peter. Open this door. And when she recognized his voice, she was so overwhelmed with gladness that she didn't open the door. (laughs) You see, sometimes the news of the miracle is more exciting than the miracle itself. Sometimes the anticipation of the breakthrough is sweeter than the breakthrough itself. And without opening the door, she runs into the church and she, and she says, everybody, everybody listen. And be quiet, Rhoda, we're praying for Peter. She says, I know, but listen, I just need to, no, I just save it. Don't say nothing. Don't interrupt us. We are praying for Peter and nothing's going to disrupt us while we are praying for Peter. No, that's just it. It's about Peter. Yes, we know he's in prison. Everybody knows that. No, listen, he's not in prison anymore. He's at the front door. They said, you're out of your mind. 
You crazy. As soon as somebody says that God's done a miracle in their life, you crazy. As soon as you start telling folks that you believe that God has done something supernatural on your behalf, you crazy. You done lost your mind. They were taking her temperature. What is going on? Are you feeling okay? Touch her, Lord. Everybody gather around her and put some hands on her. We're going to get her set free from this lion spirit. And then they entered into a theological debate about the possibility of Peter being at the door. She says, no, I'm serious. It's Peter. He's at the door right now. And, they, and one, one person goes, maybe it's his angel. Do you see that in the Bible anywhere? That you have an angel with an identical voice to you that just shows up at people's doors and knocks on the door? Does that make any sense? Isn't it crazy that in our explanation of things, it sounds more crazy than the miracle itself? That in our attempt to explain away things, we tend to say things that are more crazy than the miracle itself. But it said Rhoda continued to insist that it was so. Watch this. There was a Rhoda in the house who was the only person who knew that the miracle had happened. And the only person who believed that the miracle had happened. And she was in a room full of people that were all telling her, you crazy. But yet she continued to insist that it was so. What if Rhoda had just caved? You know what? I think you guys are right. Maybe I am crazy thinking Peter's at the door. I done lost my mind. I need to take an Excedrin and go to bed. It's, it's too late. I've been up too late. Peter would have never let Peter in. There had to be one person who believed. There had to be, the miracle had transpired, but in order to allow it to come in the door, there had to be one person in the house who believed. But here's the beautiful thing. It only took one person in the house. You say, my husband doesn't know the Lord. You be the Rhoda in your house. My children don't know the Lord. Then be the Rhoda in your house. But here's the catch. If you're going to be a Rhoda, maybe you go to your job. You're the only person who believes. In your family, you're the only person who believes. you got to learn how to be the Rhoda. She continued to declare that it was so. She continued to insist that it was so. No, God has answered. It is so. God has done it. It is so. God, and finally, somebody got an idea. Why don't we go to the door and check? Because while they're in there having this whole theological debate, Peter's standing at the door. Will you people open the door for the police come through here? And finally they open the door, and it's Peter, and they can't believe it. And Peter motioned for them to be silent. Why? Because they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, oh. Everybody's freaking out, and Peter goes, quiet, quiet. Well, you wake up the neighbors, and they call the police. <laughs> then I got to go back. Because <laughs> y'all were too excited that I got out. <laughs> and he tells them, God sent his angel. And he delivered me from the prison and from all the desire of Herod and the people of Israel. Yeah. The miracle is real. Yeah. It really happened. Yeah. He says, I want you to spread the word. I want you to tell everybody that it's real. It really happened. I want you to spread the word. I want you to tell everybody that it's real. 
it really happened. This is a perfect metaphor for what happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a perfect metaphor because when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and that real transformation of the heart transpires, there's people all around you who don't believe it. People all around you who think you're crazy. You go knock on some people's doors and they won't even open the door. Why? Because they just don't believe that the miracle has actually happened. But Peter finally got a group of people who were able to see with their own eyes that the miracle had actually happened. And Peter said, I need you to go tell the others that this is real and that it has happened. Listen, we are entering into a season in which God is getting ready to do some powerful things on our behalf, but it is going to be, it's going to be required of us that we learn how to walk in that road of spirit, that we declare that it is so. But this is the key. If you're going to enter into the miracle that God has for your life, number one, you got to learn how to arise quickly. Yeah. you got to learn how to stand up quick. Stand up quick. You've been sitting for too long. You've been thinking for too long. Listen, some of you have come to church for months and come to church for years, but you've never even accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what are you doing? You're thinking. You're considering. You're weighing things in your heart and mind. You're you're considering, no, you just need to stand up quickly. You need to make a decision quickly and stop weighing the, listen, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if I stood on this stage and ate a donut and said, man, this donut is delicious. And you sat there trying to weigh the possibilities of how delicious it is. How many months would it take you to try to figure out outside of the experience, whether I was telling the truth or not about how good the donut is? The only way for you to know is to come up and taste the donut. You got to come snatch the donut out of my hand and taste the donut. It's the same way. You can't figure out whether Christ is real or not from outside of Christ. You got to taste the donut. And you've been waiting for too long. You've been sitting on the fence for too long. You got to arise quickly. You need to make a decision. Amen. You got to learn how to arise quickly. And you got to learn how to put on your sandals. And I'm telling you, folks, we're going somewhere in this season. And so you better put on your sandals. We're not going to have time to think about it. We're not going to have time to debate about it. We're not going to have time to theologize about it. We're not going to have time to sit around and debate it. We're not going to have time. It's time for us to move with God. When God says move, you got to be ready to move. You know, Pastor Daniels called me in December at the end of 2018. He said, the word for you for 2019 is do not say no quickly to anything. Because in 2019, God is getting ready to take you in a direction that you've never gone before. He's going to bring things before you that you never anticipated before. And he's going to do things in your life that you never thought possible before. When God calls you to arise and he gets ready to move you, you've got to be ready to move with God. And that is the word of the Lord to us today. You must be ready to move with God because God's getting ready to move. He's getting ready to turn you to the right, and you better be ready to go right. He's getting ready to turn you to the left, and you better be ready to go left. I had a situation as somebody comes to the keyboard. I had a situation when I was a college student where I was driving from Fremont to Oakland at about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm driving on the 880 freeway in the fast lane, and out of nowhere, as I'm just driving and I'm just worshiping, I heard the Holy Spirit say, get over one lane. And without thinking, I just put on my blinkers and got over one lane. And the moment I got into that next lane, I zoomed past a car that was stopped in the fast lane with no lights on. It was completely dead. Had I taken a moment to try to weigh that, 
to argue with God, to debate with him a little bit, I would have plowed right into the back of that car, never seen it until it was over. I had to be ready to move quickly with God, not ask him questions. You've got to learn. I have a friend, God spoke to him one day and said, move your family to Vietnam. He went to his wife and said, I think the Lord just told me to move to Vietnam. And she said, you know, I think the Lord told me the same thing, but I told him he had to tell you. So guess what they did? They moved to Vietnam. Did they have a plan? No, the next week they moved to Vietnam. They knew when God says go, you go. You don't have to know why. You don't have to know where. You don't have to know what the purpose is. You simply have to be ready to move with God. When he got to Vietnam, he ran into a pastor, a Vietnamese pastor of an underground church. It was At that time, it was illegal. Unless your church was registered with the government, in which case they could monitor your sermons and make sure certain doctrines that were the true doctrines of Christ you could not preach. So the real church was underground. Most of the real churches were underground. And this guy was an underground pastor. And he met the guy, and they began to talk, and he found out this guy oversaw a network of underground churches across Vietnam. He befriended the guy. He ended up buying a building my friend did for his business. And he ended up funneling all of this literature to the underground church of Vietnam so that this guy fed the, Viet- the underground church in Vietnam with Bibles, with hymnals, with theology books. Like all, God had this incredible work, but there's no way he could have anticipated it before he got there. There's no way he could have obtained an explanation of what God was getting ready to do before he did it. There's no way he could have anticipated We must come out of our spiritual adolescence in which we demand an explanation from God. And we must come to such a place of faith and trust in God that we are ready to move when God says move without asking questions, without knowing why, without questioning the Lord. And so often when God, I know for my own life and I'm learning this and my wife and I are learning this in so many seasons, when God says, I need you to move to the left, we start asking questions and we start weighing pros and cons and we start writing stuff down and trying to, you know, and got spreadsheets out and trying to figure out, is this the right? And then we start seeking counsel and start, and don't get me wrong, none of those things are bad. But there are seasons when God is simply going to say, this is what you're going to do. And you've got to learn how to move quickly, move quickly with God. Bow your heads. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come upon us today to enable us to move quickly with you. Lord, some of us have been so slow of heart, so slow of heart to believe all that was spoken by the prophets. But Father, I pray that you would heal us of our slowness of heart. Lord, some of us have clear words from you that we have hesitated to obey. I pray that you would heal us of our hesitation. Heal us of our hesitation. And that you would instead instill within us a readiness to obey. A readiness to obey without explanation and without hesitation. Give us a readiness to obey. I pray that you would teach us to arise quickly. That we would not linger in the pit of unbelief and despair. That we would not linger in the pit of disillusionment and discouragement. But that we would arise quickly. And that you would stand us up by your power and by your spirit. And that we would move. Holy Spirit, I pray you settle upon every heart. That you would stir every heart with the words that were spoken today. And I pray that you would bring about a response by your spirit and by your power. In Jesus' name.